0: Ladies and gentlemen, you're really going to like The Next guest. You don't recognize him, but you've seen his work because he's been on a number of productions over the years. His name is Mark Simon, and he's based in Atlanta. He has worked in TV and television and film for 35 years and has worked on 6,000 productions, ranging from feature films to television series live actions, uh, animation commercials, and more. He has been the story artist on things such as Stranger Things, The Walking Dead, Dexter, Black Lightning, Dynasty, Woody the Woodpecker, Marvelous Mrs. Marvel, and others. He's known as the godfather of storyboarding. And I think most of you know what storyboarding is, but it is the thing that makes movies and television shows happen. So what he has done is he has written the Bible in the industry called Storyboards, Motion and Art, and has helped develop the leading storyboard software, Storyboard Pro, which produces storyboarding courses on LinkedIn. Now he also has written a lot of uh, some very interesting books. And so I had a very interesting call with him before this show. And I loved it. And I know you're going to love him. Welcome, sir.
1: Thanks, Dr. Like a pleasure to be here.
0: Okay. So tell me about your journey, how you got along this path.
1: You know, that's a that's a big that's a big question. Um most of it is fun. Uh, there's, uh, you know, like most journeys, there were some issues along the way, which actually helped guide me to what I'm doing now. Uh, I was, I was always an artist. I was one of those kids that was drawing on everything. Uh, my dad was an engineer. Uh, but prior to that, he was a traveling musician and he wanted me to learn music. So, you know, years and years of music lessons. And the only thing I got out of that was a lot of sheet music with cartoons on it. Cause I would just, I would draw instead of practice. Uh, and he finally realized, okay, music's not this kid's path. And then I just, that it was just headlong into, uh, into art and, and helping run business. I, I helped my dad run his construction business. I was a superintendent for a number of years. Um, so, so my path was always that I always wanted to tell stories. I thought I was going to be an animator. Uh, when I was a kid, they bought me. My parents bought me a, a Super 8 projector and some Super 8 films. You know, little short pieces from things like um, uh, Pinocchio and and uh, and the Incredible Hulk, the really terrible 70s animation of the Incredible Hulk, things like that. And I used to pull those through the um, the projector one frame at a time and study it. And, and I was just fascinated. So I kind of thought maybe I'd do something like that. I didn't know what storyboarding was at the time. There, there were no books. Mine is the first true big book that covers everything on, on storyboarding. Um, uh, so I didn't know anything about it. Uh, and what started, what, what kind of rocked my world for a while. So everything was going great. I was, you know, I did great. I was a straight a student. I was in all the honors classes. You know, I had a ton of friends. I was making a lot of money. Um, And then in my junior year in 1980 in Houston, Texas, I was it was more than being bullied. Uh, I was assaulted and attacked by about 30 people at a party one night. Uh, There were a couple of ringleaders that, that got everyone together. And it was a combination of petty jealousy and that I was the only one in the school who wouldn't put up with the gang. Um And just to step back for a second, one of the reasons that that they kind of came after me and and why I didn't put up with it is because I was running my dad's construction company. So I was used to telling people two and three times my age what to do. You know, some of the guys that worked for us, you know, weighed 320 pounds of nothing but solid muscle. And they were six foot three. I was five foot four at the time. Um, So what are a bunch of high school kids going to do to intimidate me? You know, it just so my background kind of set up for me to have a different way of looking at bullies. They meant nothing to me. Um, And I was also incredibly strong for my age because of working construction most of my life. So when they would, you know, try to bully and smack and throw people around, they weren't able to do it to me, even though they towered over me. So that embarrassed them which led them to get a very large group of people together at a big bonfire party and attack me and a buddy of mine um the biggest issue was you know i, I got away i had uh, an old uh, old car that i rebuilt that was souped up and i was able to get away from everybody uh but they followed me home and attacked my family in our front yard um and that's the the basis of my memoir called attacked and uh, which you see back here for anyone watching the video, and and that just started months of my family being attacked, death threats, uh, uh, threats of firebombing the house. We had to have private security. Um, all my f- friends were attacked. Everyone stopped talking to me. I started failing classes. It was it was it was just horrible. Um, but I refused to back down. Uh, I, I did have a nervous breakdown during it. Uh, we didn't realize it at the time because, you know, my family didn't believe in, in psychiatry, I guess, or my dad didn't. We never even thought about it. We never even discussed that. It's just, you know, looking back, we realized all the issues that that um, that I'd run into. Um, And the school had offered, the school knew and they were helping me, Uh, you know, stay away from the kids. They offered to send me to another school. They said, any school would love to have you. I said, why should I uproot my life? That's what I told my principal. I said, why should I uproot my life? I'm the victim. They should go away. So a local, and this all leads into my being a professional artist, so just hang with me for a sec. So a local constable was a friend of all of ours. His name was Officer Ogden. Uh, He kind of hung out with the kids. He was also hired at the school as extra security. So we all knew him. He came over to the house. I asked I, I called him and asked him to. He came over, talked to my parents and told us about a new law that had been enacted that year, 1980 in Texas, holding parents responsible for the actions of their juveniles. It had never been used before. Um But because the juvenile system couldn't really do much to the kids and the, the school was in this long, long, long battle to try to get the kids removed, but it wasn't something they could just do. They had to go through the courts and all those files were sealed because they were juvenile, nothing that I could access. Uh, but by holding the parents responsible, maybe we could do something quicker. So we went into the, uh, to the courthouse, met with the judge, uh local judge. He told us how we need to handle it. Um And we need to do two things. One, we needed to warn the families in court to give them the opportunity to control their kids. And then two, make sure that if I did call to have them arrested, that it was something that would stand up in court, that I, you know, they couldn't look at me sideways and I would call the cops. It had to be something serious, but hopefully not so serious that I got hurt. So it was that fine line I had to ride. Um, so we did. We had, um, Four families, uh, the four main people, the two ringleaders and and the two other people that came to the house and attacked my family uh called into court two families dealt with their kids instantly. The two ringleaders didn't have fathers, they only had mothers uh which in itself is not bad except these women were pills they were horrible people um uh i how are you with with cursing because they cursed and, and it's it's important to kind of know. Are you okay with that or not on this? But
0: the thing is, we're on drive time, sir. So we have okay. parents right. driving their children to school. And okay, so school. so let me just say this. I get it.
1: So let me just say this. The mothers called me horrible names in front of the judge, thinking I should stand up for myself. And we're like, oh, this is not going to go well. So the kids you know, didn't stop. Uh, it slowed it down for a little bit. And then... Finally, one day, eight of them came after me again with two ringleaders. So I called the police and had the parents, the mothers of the two ringleaders arrested. We went to court and uh, and we won. Uh, we won the first court case. The second family, the second mother, pled no contest. She didn't want to go through what she had just seen someone else go through. And I set the precedent of uh, of the law that's now used in various versions of it around the country like with the Michigan School Shooter from uh, earlier in the year. Uh, That's all based on my court trial and how we were able to win it. So, so So, you know,
0: I I think that's very important that you stood your ground. And I think that what's more important is because of this, you are who you are now. It actually helped you grow into the person you are. And although this was a terrible time in your life, it allowed you to become the
1: world beater and world leader you are. You know, it probably did have a lot to do with it. I mean, it was, it kind of, just because of my background and, and having been given so much control over things and running this huge business when I was a kid, you know, early mid teens, I was already there. This could have waylaid me. This could have really shut me down and I didn't let it. So you know, my background led me to the point where I was able to deal with it the way I did. So I'm, I'm so I want to give credit to my parents there. Um, it wasn't just that I stood up against the guys, but they raised me to be able to stand up against them. If if you see what I mean, exactly. So, and, yeah.
0: and Not only that, I, I want to take this into your work in Hollywood, how it led you into Hollywood, because I think part of your escape was to do the things you love to do, which was drawing and artistry and all those things that you had coming out of you as a natural artist that you are.
1: Yeah, it was, it was interesting what happened. It, and it was when I was writing the book that all this kind of came together and I started realizing the path, you know, cause I just lived it. So I wasn't thinking much about it. Um So, during, as as I said, I failed one of my classes. I failed an advanced math class. I think it was trigonometry or I don't, I don't remember what it was, but it was one I should have passed easily because I was literally a mathlete. I used to be one of the four kids in the school that would compete in all the big math competitions. But I failed the class because I couldn't concentrate. You know, the 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 gang would stand outside the class and look through the window and just intimidate me like crazy. So. I had to drop, uh, drop my math class, and w- which didn't affect my being able to graduate because I had already had more than enough math. I didn't have to take any more to graduate. So I decided to take an extra art class since I had this free period. And my art teacher said, look, the theater department needs help with posters and brochures. I suggested you do it because you're the one artist in the school that follows through with everything. So, I went down to the theater department and I would spend my time down there sketching up ideas and sitting on the edge of the stage, and I watched them design and start building the set for Fiddler on the roof and I saw better ways of doing it because I used to build big custom homes, so sitting there sketching, I ended up redesigning everything i and and I then ended up helping to build the sets and then running the builds of the sets and then I became the backstage manager. All of my first theater experience that led me to then doing um, uh, summer uh, repertoires at at a university. The university ended up giving me a theater uh, scholarship to go there, but they also had a great film department. So I took the scholarship, but I studied film and literally led me to Hollywood sounds cool. You know, I'll try animation, but I know I can get in through design, art direction and design, because that's my background. And literally a week or two after I graduated college, I was living in Hollywood and started working immediately in designing and building sets. So yeah, I can, you know, looking back, I can see the direct path because these these jerks affected my life. Literally set a, a different path than I had really thought about directly into working in Hollywood, which is now, you know, 30, this is my 36th year working in film and TV. So. Exactly. And, you know, it's also led you to write 13 books, which (laughs) is
0: truly amazing. I mean, people who are writers like myself know how difficult it is to write a book. But It is also a passion that we do. We literally have to write. Otherwise, we wouldn't feel fulfilled. Like when I was a cosmetic doctor, I wrote 17 books. You know, people say, how do you do that? Well, I said I had to.
1: Yeah, Yeah. it's in you and you have to get it out. You have to share it. Um, The process, I actually find the process fascinating. You know, there's all this talk about the frustration that that writers. I don't really look at things that way. It's a challenge that i i take on um i enjoy the organization cuz i've written nonfiction as well as fiction and memoir i've i've written all different types of of books and and scripts as well um and i just i love it i i love the feeling of it it's frustrating that it takes so long publishing is just it it, it goes at the speed of a glacier <laughs> um, you know, you finish right, you know, you spend a year or two writing a book and it takes another year for them s- for some reason to get it printed and put out. Um, so that that part is really frustrating, which is also then why I got into doing all the LinkedIn learning courses that I also write and produce, because I can do those in a couple of months and they're out, you know, three or four weeks later. So, you know, I like that. I like the speed of that. And I'm also able to help people. Yeah. But in the meantime, I'm still writing. I keep saying I've written my last book because it takes too long. And I just looked, I've got three, three other books that I'm writing right now. So I I just, I can't help myself.
0: Now, one of the books you wrote is Start at the Top. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Stories to get your, you off, off your ass. Tell us about that one.
1: Well, that originally started as inspirational stories for my kids. They graduated college this past year. And I wrote it while they were in college. As a way to help inspire them and, and help them succeed quickly in their careers. And I realized that the stories were pretty in depth and there's a lot of them. And I thought, you know, a lot of other people could probably want this too. Now, and that this all stems from, I'm, I'm, I'm a believer in, I don't want to talk to the person who can tell me no. I want to talk to the only person who can tell me yes thus start at the top you know i want to go to that one person like my first job in in los angeles uh, was at a set building company because i knew how to design and build homes i knew how to design and build theatrical sets but i didn't know how hollywood did it for movies so i went to the biggest set building house in la it was in pasadena called Sururier and associates and i i just walked in and i asked to speak to the owner i didn't want to talk to anyone else um and the owner was there and he hired me in my first meeting. So, you know, it's things like that and how I was able to get to the top person and then succeed very, very quickly in anything that I've wanted to do. Um, You know, I've had some failures along the way, but unless you strive, you're not going to have the big successes. So, you know, I always swing for the fence. You know, the first time I developed a, a, a computer training program, I was still in college and it was for from my dad when he was working in real estate at the time for um Keller Williams, which is now the largest real estate company in the world. Well, Gary Keller, the founder, bought the system from me because he liked what I did for my dad better than what they were already doing. So, you know, my very first one ended up going uh, being bought out by the largest real estate company in the world. So it was all these stories on how I did it. And then at the end of each story, I go over what worked and what didn't work. So it's not just here's the story of, hey, look what your dad did, you know, since I was writing this originally for my kids. But but this is what I got out of it. And hopefully what you can get out of it, including all the failures, because there were oh, there were some some nice ones. <laughs> you know, I wanted to you know, I wanted to show you know, the good for the bad.
0: Another book you wrote was Your Resume Sucks. <laughs> yeah. well, tell us about that one, because maybe some of our listeners uh could get some benefit from that one as well
1: yeah that was that was a book that stemmed from my college years where in because i had a double major of art and business and as we were being taught in the business courses on how to create a resume i thought it was nonsense um i disagreed with everything they were teaching it just it didn't make sense to me now at that time i had already run my uh, my dad's construction business and i had already owned an advertising agency that's how i paid my way through school was designing um and producing marketing Uh, so i had my own business i was already hiring people so i you know at that point i had used a resume a few times but mostly i was reading resumes to hire people and so everything i was being taught just made no sense whatsoever you know, things like, you know, you have to put everything in order of the date that you worked and the dates, how long you worked on things. I was like, well, but that only helps employers find a reason to say no to you. I wanted to put resumes together to help you, the individual, land a job. So it's a complete opposite flip of how everyone is taught in every other book on the market. Um, and there were things that no one talked about, like the most important thing on your resume is the job title on top. There's only two books of all the resume books. There's only two that even mention the title, and mine is one of them. So in college, my my best friend and and my roommate, uh, actually right after we graduated, he was having a hard time finding a job in his career. And he had been working for months and months and months on trying to land a great job, and he just couldn't do it. And he asked me to look at his resume, and I said, well, let me rewrite it my way. You've heard me talk about it. So I rewrote it completely. You know, I put things out of order on purpose. You know, the most relevant job up top instead of the most recent job. You know, things that should make common sense, but you're taught the opposite. And within two weeks, he had his dream job. And so that built. I started doing resumes for friends and helping out helping out with people. And I told my wife, who was a, a Hollywood producer, and so she had been using resumes and getting hired from them as well and, and hiring other people. I said, let's write this book together. And then I brought Jim, my my best friend, in as a consultant on it, as the third writer, because he, at that point, was the head of HR for uh, Nissan USA. So he was hiring anywhere between three and 5,000 people a year. So he kind of knew what worked and what didn't work. And he was obviously a believer in our system. So we put it together. The issue we ran into when we first started organizing the book was resumes are boring. Talking about resumes is even more boring. But we had read a book called The One Minute Manager, which is a brief story about a young man being mentored on how to become a manager and not just an hourly worker. And we thought, well, that's a great idea. Let's do the same idea with people mentoring a young man going uh, going through building a resume to land a job. So we made it interesting. At the same time, most of the resumes we saw really sucked. So we figured, well, let's have fun with a title that people will pay attention to. And the whole back of the book, so the front part uh, is story on what you need to do. And the back half, our samples of this resume sucks and opposing it was rewritten the way we think it should be done. This resume rocks. So, and, and now it's been picked up by universities around the country and, and, and it's, it's, it's been great. It's, I, I live, I love kind of turning something on its head from what people expect and realize, Oh, there's a different way of doing this that actually works better for you, the individual.
0: Sounds excellent, and it sounds like you have it together there. Well, Mark, we're already getting uh, through this show, and there's two questions I want to ask you. Uh oh, as Mark, how do you live a fantastic life?
1: You know, I was thinking about that question because you had warned me because that's a that's a big one, and and there is no one one answer. There is no one way. It's it the way you live your life is how you live a fantastic life, but. A couple things that that I know have helped me. one is communication, whether it's communicating with people I work with, um, in in every way, just so everyone knows what's going on, advance notice of things that may happen, uh, what our schedule is like, but it's also communicating with my kids, communicating with my wife, making sure they communicate back with me. You know, no assumptions. If there, if something could be misunderstood, it will be misunderstood. So, you know, if I don't understand something, I will ask, Um, you know, if my wife says something, I'll say, well, what do you mean? Is it this or this? Because I don't want to jump to any conclusions, which causes issues. So communication is probably key. And then for me, it's first of all, I love what I do. I love telling stories. I love drawing I love movies and TV, and I work in it. So that's great. Um, but at the same time, I love other things in my life, so I make sure I make time. I love spending time with my kids. I love watching movies. I love playing disc golf. You know, that gets me out of my studio. It gets me outside walking around. I go hiking. I explore new areas. It's led me into other adventures and travels that I wouldn't have done otherwise. So finding a passion and hopefully making a living at it whether you do or not, then finding another passion to also spend your extra time on. So for me, that has been very fulfilling. Excellent. Now, tell
0: me, we have hundreds of thousands of listeners out there. What is your recommendation to them on how to live a fantastic life?
1: Buy my books. No, um, (laughs) uh, kind of the same thing. Openly communicate. Don't make assumptions and find something you love and do it. Whether you make money at it or not, just doing something you love and then finding other people who love the same thing adds to your life. And, and cause life is more than work. Um, and I, and, and this comes from someone who loves every single day of work. I n- never have a problem with it. I just love doing it, but I love a lot of other things too. And I explore, I take on new adventures and um i would also say travel it's actually i hadn't thought about this before just thinking about this but traveling does a lot it it keeps you from making assumptions about other cultures and people you know i've traveled all over the world and i realized a lot of things that i had been told were wrong and it's not until you see it for yourself that you realize oh this is how these people or this culture actually is or oh The leaders might be one way, but the actual people are total, totally different. And then it's also, it's like, wow, everyone around the world really has the same wants, same needs, same love, same desires. Regardless of what language you speak or the color of your skin, for the most part, we're all the same. And that, I think, will help everybody and everything when you... When you see that and recognize it for yourself, don't take my word for it. Go out and travel and meet people. And it could very well change your outlook on everything. Yeah, for sure. I
0: I had the pleasure of being the guest of Egypt because I was a doctor. Mm. and Go over there and teach. I took my daughter and her husband over there. And it was a unique experience for them because they got to meet people and bond with them in such a way they would have never otherwise. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's it's great that you did that. Yeah, I'm glad that it's one of those experiences that I'm very happy to to share with people. Well, Mark, thank you very
1: much for being here. How can people
0: find out more about you, your books and your world?
1: Well, the only social media I do is on LinkedIn uh, mostly because I don't have a whole lot of extra time. Uh So you just search for Mark Simon, story artist on LinkedIn. Uh Or if you want to find out more my, about my books, go to MarkSimonBooks.com, Mark with a K. Uh, there's a lot of behind the scenes, videos, support stuff. There's a lot of fun things on there as well. Yeah,
0: I think that that's amazing what you've done here and, and put together some amazing books there. And you you certainly tell people a lot about your life but you also guide them through things uh, yeah one of the ones i i looked up was your your diy tv pitch kit oh yeah which, which is truly amazing the amount of material you have in there for people
1: yeah my wife and i were lucky enough to sell a, a number of film and tv projects and people kept asking us how we did it so it, it's time consuming to go over. So we did it in such a way that we go through everything once and then everyone else can benefit from it. So, um, yeah, that was a, that was a fun project to put together. And it's uh, it's helped people all over the world with uh, pitching and selling their own ideas.
0: Excellent. Well, Mark, thank you so much for being here.
1: My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. I, I always love our conversations. So do I. Now, uh,
0: ladies and gentlemen, please go to my website as well, DrAllenLeica.com. That's D-R-A-L-L-E-N, lyka L-Y-C-K-A.com. You'll get a golden pearl there a week, which is sure to change your life. Bye for now. You've been listening to How to Live a Fantastic Life. Be sure and pick up a copy of Dr. Leica's book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, on Amazon.com. And you'll want to subscribe right here on this page so you don't miss a single episode. Have a fantastic day.